Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm -hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached. When I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom, I went, oh. and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 473, talking with a turkey calling champion. And I am your co-host, and the guy who is tripping all over his turkey hunting gear spread out all over the floor. And I'm co-host and the guy who has tags packed and loaded in the vest. <laughs> Excellent. We are ready to roll, man. So when this show airs, it will, A, more importantly, we will be on a turkey hunt in Texas with our raffle winners. And B, it will also be my birthday. And yes. I'm going to be shooting a Rio Grande turkey on mine and George Washington's birthdays. Fantastic. Yes, sir. So I cannot wait to get down there. We fly out tomorrow, which is Tuesday. We're recording this on a Monday, and you guys will hear it on Thursday. So it's going to be a great trip. Can't wait to update you guys next week on how it goes down at El Mapache Blanco Ranch in South Texas. So if it goes well, we'll let you all know. I think Kyle still has some availability for the spring. Yes. And 
I have to say if the forecast is even remotely correct, it's not even spring anymore there. It's summer. <laughs> summer. Yeah. Yeah, like 89. Is that the high? Yeah, I'm just, you know, there is no difference. You may as well just say it's going to be 90 degrees. Yeah. And I love AccuWeather's description for our first hunt, which is Wednesday. Great day to be outside. Day before that, feeling like spring. Love that. Yeah. So it is going to be like, you know, around high 50s in the mornings and evenings. So that, that should be really good gobbling weather. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're going to find out. I know that much. We're going to find out. We're going to find out how badly they're hinned up, aren't we? Yes, sir. Hopefully hopefully not at all. We'll see what happens. We shall see, but it's going to be a blast. Looking forward to it. We've got, I mean, the title of the show should include in there, nine-time champion, world champion turkey caller. The now nine-time grand yeah. national champion. Yes, indeed. And Congratulations to Matt Van Sice once again. He is no stranger to holding up the big trophy on the stage in Nashville, and he did that again this past Saturday. Yeah, and, and when they called up the top five, and they called Matt Van Sice's name, and you sarcastically were like, oh, what a shocker. <laughs> we were like, we know he's going to win. He's just, he's kind of just, I feel like hit a new level where he, he is he is the man. I mean, nine times, and what is that, three in a row for him, I think? Yeah. So. You know, he'll, it's just his mindset. He's never completely satisfied because he doesn't judge himself against the other callers. He judges himself against the wild turkey. And yeah. so because of that and the fact that he is not a wild turkey, he is never going to be satisfied with where he is with his calling. And yeah. So, you know, and we kind of get into that with him for our Patreon members. Uh, if you want to join us on Patreon, there's a link in the show notes where you can do so. But we get into that exact discussion with Matt even more so because we interviewed him within 10 minutes of him winning his ninth Grand National this past Saturday. Yeah. And we're going to put that interview in for our Patreon-only members. So if you want to hear that, you're going to need to join us on Patreon. It's a great interview celebrating his ninth win it's pretty cool good insight there for turkey calling and anyway that was pretty cool so that's gonna be for our patreon folks and as always in the show notes you can find a link to our shopify store and support the show that way but we got matt van Sice this week talking you know he's a turkey caller but the guy's a turkey killer too first yeah. and foremost yeah so we talk about a lot of different things mostly turkey hunting with matt and I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. So why don't we hop in here and get it? Let's do it to it. See you guys on the other side. Hey, guys, Cameron and I are very excited to tell you that we have with us today Matt Van Sice, who might know a thing or two about competing in turkey calling contests. In fact, he might know a thing or two about winning a bunch of turkey calling contests. So Matt started competing in 96 in turkey calling and since then has eight senior Grand National Open Championships, four Grand National Friction Championships. He was the 2023 team champion 
along with his partner and Matt, correct me if I mispronounce it, Bo Bartleboff. Yeah, that's it. All right. I did pretty good for an Italian guy. I shall, Andy. <laughs> Thank you. And he also has eight World Open Championships, three World Friction Championships, and three U.S. Opens. And look, if I'm going to name all of his winnings in the turkey calling circuit, that'll be our hour-long show, and we'll just you know, wrap it up and call it night. So I don't mean to belittle any of your other accomplishments as far as on the calling stage or any of that are concerned, Matt, but man, there's just too much to to read <laughs> off here. So not at all. Not a problem. I think that that gives the listeners a little taste of who Matt Van Syce is if they don't already recognize the name. And if they don't, then I don't know. I mean, I suppose there's somebody out there in the world who is technologically advanced enough to listen to this podcast, but yet not technologically enough advanced enough to get on social media or to follow the NWTF or anything else to know who Matt Van Syce is. And I think that's probably a unicorn in the in the turkey hunting world. So. Matt, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come and chat with us and talk a little turkey. And so before we get too deep into this, I'm going to ask you one question, and then I've got a a little bit of a ask of you. Since you're a competitive type of guy, I think you'll I think you'll bite on my ask. But my question to you is this. Can you tell us? a little bit about yourself, where you are, where you're from, and how you got into calling competitively. Absolutely. So originally I'm from a, more of a village than anything, but it's Grand Valley. It's in Warren County, Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up, started turkey hunting. Some of the, truthfully, I've hunted all over the country. And in the my early years from the early 90s through probably up to about 2010 was some of the finest turkey hunting in the world. And I'd put that against like Northeast Missouri and some of those areas that was just off the charts. And some of the, some of the best turkey hunters, hands down, some of the best turkey hunters I've ever been around in any state. It was just so, there was a, there was a lot of good to learn from, but now I live in Brookville, Pennsylvania, where I, I work as a procurement manager for a sawmill, Mattson Lumber. I've worked for 25 years. You know, that affords me to spend lots of time in the woods. You know, I spend time oh, yeah. in the off road, but I get to spend more time in the woods than most people do. So there's a lot of good benefits to that. I get to hear things. I get to see things. And if I want to run a turkey call during the day, I can run a turkey call. Or, you know, I I have freedoms to do things that a lot of other people don't do in my job. So, yeah, That's very good. Cool. What? Why is it that you Pennsylvania folks are such good turkey callers? It's a pretty, when you look back on it, it's a pretty rich history. And then, so going back to my beginning, you know, we didn't, we didn't have, well, there's a whole list of things we didn't have. We didn't have TSS. We didn't, and I use most all these things, so I'm not belittling it, but we didn't have TSS. We didn't have highly realistic decoys or pop-up blinds or all the things that have made turkey hunting easy. If you wanted to be a better turkey hunter, you had to learn to be a better caller because if somebody in that town found out that you crawled on the turkey every time you walked into the store with the main, the main store, which was Wilderness Connections, people made fun of you. <laughs> <laughs> I 
got to crawl on him. He's, he's got to wear knee pads when he turkey hunts. So, I mean, it was a, it was an art. You to be a better turkey hunter, you learn to be a better turkey caller and be proficient on everything that you could. You know, and there's so much has changed. It has gotten so much easier. You know, the the there's there was we had the highest hunter numbers in the nation back then. We I don't know where we stand now. It is significant significantly lower than it was when I started. I mean, at one time we had over a million licensed hunters mm. and we're down big time. I don't see the hunting pressure. There are people that will listen to this that will argue with me because of the reputation that Pennsylvania had in the past, but we do not have the hunter numbers that we used to here. Rarely do you get messed up on a turkey anymore, maybe in some of the heaviest hunted public areas, but I grew up hunting in nothing but public. You know, there was private land, but it was nothing posted. And in our area, we knew everybody. And if it was posted, whether you had permission or not, if it wasn't posted, everybody hunted it and nobody cared. And, you know, all the guys that I didn't mention any names, but all those good turkey hunters all hunted the same properties. We all hunted the same place. And it was just a matter of if there was a bird on there that was ready to work that day. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have a pretty rich history going back. I mean, we have the first couple uh, Grand National Championships, which was Robbie Rome and Terry Rome and, you know, then you go into Danny Galvis, and there was a guy. I, I never met him, but there was a. I think it was George Bowsinger and Matt Moret. And uh, heck, even Jim Pollard grew up in Pennsylvania. When he won, he was in New York and Alabama. But there's just been a lot of really good callers, and we had a lot of turkey calling contests. And that had to do with all of the. We had a pretty large number of National Wild Turkey Federation chapters back then. So it's just a a lot of history there. Probably not too many places outside of the South or maybe Missouri that had the number of calling contests and hunting and just legendary turkey call builders, Dee Dee Adams and all these guys, Cody and a bunch of really good call builders. So yeah, it was a big, yeah. I, I was going to ask a similar question that Cameron asked and just get more towards the line of competitive turkey callers, because if you were at the, Grand Nationals in Nashville this year as an observer or shoot even as a competitor or if you watched it on YouTube the replay of it I don't know the exact number but I believe maybe five or six out of the competitors there in the finals were from Pennsylvania yeah yeah and and is that I mean, obviously, it goes back to the history of what you're what you were talking about there. But are there still quite a few competitions in Pennsylvania calling competitions? More so than in most other states. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, I'll be honest. Probably it's probably been. I don't do much of anything other than Grand Nationals anymore. You know, I had I had some personal goals, and at this point, I'm competing because I still I still love it but I go to one or two a year and I'm not chasing those trophies anymore. Those, those local contests other than a warm up, which I'm, I'm confident enough in what I do that I really don't feel I need a warm up anymore. So that, that was the only reason I went, but for a lot of these guys that want to go, they got to qualify. Once you win a grand national championship, you don't have to qual. You never have to qualify again. Gotcha. You qualify. So yes, we still have more contests than most. And that's, because of a couple guys, you know, like Ben Chamberlain is a friction caller, but he, he helps out with a lot and gets a lot of contests started. And that, that makes a big difference. But yeah. Yeah. 
still have a lot of good callers and good call makers here. Yes, no doubt. No doubt. And, you know, there's so much truth to what you said. And with me being a Southern boy, you know, when I first started turkey hunting, I thought, uh, you know, we have the toughest birds in the South, the Southeast, mm-hmm. and we have the best turkey hunters in the Southeast. And, you know, I need, if I could go back in time and correct myself, I would say something more like we have some of the, Absolutely. because you guys in Pennsylvania have a long, long list of fantastic turkey hunters, fantastic turkey call makers, fantastic turkey callers, just like you said. And so, you know, we didn't invent turkey hunting in the Southeast. We think we did, and we think we corner the market a lot of times. But, you know, until you get out and uh, as a hunter and travel and experience what hunting in other states is like, what, and, and not only that, but hunting with other hunters from other states, right. you don't really... Uh, I don't think you can stand to have a, a discussion on the topic because, right. you know, there there are plenty of good, well, I should say plenty of states out there that produce a lot of very good turkey hunters. And, you know, it's just like you said, you know, I think it's easier today. The sport is because there's just so much more information that's readily available. It is. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, I said to I got a you know I got a group chat with a bunch of they're all guys that wear my shirts and we talk every day and they're just their friends more than their callers or anything else. But mm-hmm. I said to them I said give me you know give me a decent cell service and Onyx hunt and a turkey that'll gobble once or twice and I'm going to kill him. Doesn't <laughs> matter if I've ever stepped foot on the property and that is the difference today. That is one of the biggest difference today. You know you step onto a piece of whether it be public private whatever it is you've never stepped foot on there. A turkey gobbles a time or two, and you look at that map, say, okay, that's where he's at, and that's where I need to get to kill him. Not everybody has that ability, but it just it has completely changed that game where 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you walked in there and that turkey gobbled, you move at him, and he may hang up because you don't know what's there. Mm-hmm. But now we have the ability to see what's there, and turkeys don't hang up because they're smart. They hang up because there's something they don't like. And with OnX or, or Hunt Map, you know, Hunt's down, I don't know what I use OnX. With all these different mapping services, you've just taken that out of the ball, out of the scenario completely. If you know how to look at that map and think, okay, he's going to want to be there, you get to that point, you got to do something pretty, pretty drastically wrong at that point to not kill him. Yeah. So mm. there's just a lot of things that have changed for the better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you made an interesting point. So I'm a stats guy. So when you said less hunters in Pennsylvania, I looked it up real quick. So y'all have since y'all topped out in 1983. Mm-hmm. Y'all had 1,313,000 hunting license holders. Wow. Right. That's impressive. And so That's insane. then the most recent data, y'all, which would be 2021. You'll have 953,000 license holders, so you have had a 27% decrease. Right. So it's that's, notable. It's that's noticeable. interesting. I mean, it's it's very noticeable. And, you know, the area that I live now, there's some guys that I see a lot on Facebook that are local here that say that our population's down. And I, I hunt some of the same areas as them. And if they went with me for a day or two, 
I would change their mind. It's like you're going to one or two spots and saying that because there's a turkey not gobbling there. But our population in this area is has really rebounded in the last few years. And maybe it's not what it was 20 years ago, but it's probably as good as any place around that I've hunted right now. Yeah. You know, it's, you know we're it's coming back. It's good. We've had lots of jakes the last couple of years. And just because they don't gobble doesn't mean they're not here. <laughs> yeah. And the, the past two years have been, I would say, a recovery period for most of the U.S., honestly, at least in the eastern wild turkeys range. Seems yep. like they've been pretty good for the past two years. Right. Yeah, it's been great. What's interesting, too, I looked at Tennessee, my home state, over the same time period that I looked at Pennsylvania, and we're up 35%. So we need to, we need guys from Tennessee, y'all need to be moving to Pennsylvania. A lot less honey pressure. Turkey's everywhere. You're hearing Matt. Head out, pack the bags, get the wife and kids, go to Pennsylvania. <laughs> you know, and I, I, one thing I will say that I, that I have seen in the South, you, we, you know, we may have a higher number of hunters, but you have more avid hunters. Mm. And by that, I mean, you have more guys that will get up and go before work in the morning or that will hunt every chance they get here. We may have a guy that'll turkey hunt on a Saturday or two, and that's pretty much it. I'm out there every morning. I my, I mean, my wife gets a little irritated. Like, why are you going out? You can't kill anything. Well, somebody can. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it only comes around. It's, we got a month here, and I'm going to hunt every day that I, that I can. So I don't have to squeeze the trigger. I just like to be there. I like to hear it. I like to see it. I like to be part of somebody else getting something. I'm, I'm happy with all that. And I don't think we have the number of avid turkey hunters here, you know, diehard guys that are out there every day that are serious about it. Yeah. It's interesting because we do not have that issue in, in my next. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say, I'd say your, your observation is correct. The, not only do we have a growing population of hunters in the Southeast, it seems like also people just hunt more. And I, I would agree with that. And it's more concentrated to deer, turkey, waterfowl, I would say. Whereas used to, you had a lot of squirrel, quail, rabbit, mm-hmm. people buying hunting license that were hunting other game animals. But now it's like the big three in the southeast is turkey, deer, waterfowl. Right. So that paid license holding number is even more reflective of those three, I would say. Yep. But yep, that is interesting. I was, uh, that's cool to look up the data and see that your observations are absolutely correct in Pennsylvania because I kind of find that shocking. I guess just from living in my little bubble down here of, of thinking there's people everywhere in the woods. Right. Yep. So, Cameron, do you think just in Tennessee that you have hunters who hunt one species only? Do you have very many hunters you think that are just waterfowl hunters? No. I'd say most everybody I know who is a hunter hunts deer, turkeys, and waterfowl. And, and Matt, what do you think about PA? You see the same thing there, you think? Not as much. Waterfowl is a, boy, it's a small percentage here. Yeah. For one, you know, we have some ducks, but we don't have the, in the areas that I've always lived in, we don't really have great duck hunting. You you can get into some farm country and kill geese, um, but it's not nothing like it is in the South. I mean, I have a, my boss at the lumber company, he's, he's from Mississippi 
he's got a home in Louisiana and he tra- he takes all his vacation to go duck hunting. That's <laughs> it. He goes home to go duck hunting every year. So, you know, it's a, a lot bigger in the South as far as that, but most of our guys probably you know, a big percentage of our hunters are deer hunters. You know, that's, uh, and more of that being rifle hunting than anything. You know, we have a two week yeah. rifles, pretty big tradition here and things are changing on that, on that end some, but it's still a pretty big deal in this state. I mean, Schools closed down, job, you know, your places of employment used to shut down for opening day. And it's just a pretty big deal here for that. Yeah. I almost got me a deer in, in PA this spring. <laughs> That's not hard to do. <laughs> no. Given the number I saw dead on the side of the road between the airport and where I hunted, wow. Oh, it's, it, that's a whole other story. I mean, uh, we have a, we have an issue. We, we <laughs> We don't need to get off on that. But I, we have people in this state that will buy doe tags and have tag burning parties because yeah. they, they that the only way to you know the the best way to deer hunt is to see a hundred deer a day. But it, we're getting to a point where you can see that. But this is about turkey hunting, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So a good day of turkey hunting. If I hear a hundred turkeys gobble, I would consider that to be a good day. Yeah, yeah that yeah. would be a great. Day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. You know, there's something about going out on top. I may just throw my hands up and say, Lord, you can take me now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there again, I'd, I'd want to go the next day to see if it was just an anomaly. And I know I'd hear nothing the next day and it'd be an identical day to the day before. Yeah. All right. There does seem to be a little bit to that over the years of hunting. I have found it. Yes. I almost never have two good goblin days in a row. I yeah. can almost count if I have a day where they're just on fire everywhere, the next day is not going to be very good. Um, Do you think, think just thinking back historically, has it always been that way for you? As long as I've, you know, as long as I've paid attention to it, I, okay. I do. You know I mean? And I've had, uh, that's, that's the days where it seems like every place you stop or every place you go into, there's a bird that's ready to work. Now, you know, there's, I get a lot of new places to hunt. And when I say new, you know, I get permission before the season and I may not step foot in there, but it's just another place in my back pocket. And I may step in there one day and hit a call and bird gobbles. And by the time between me trying to get set up on him and him trying to get to me, I bump him. And there's been a lot of those, a big percentage of those. I will kill right off the bat the next morning. You know, there's, I'm not a big believer in pressure unless until you get to a point, you know, when that Turkey's ready, he's ready. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's, Pressure can affect them some, but the fact is there's a day during the season whether where the most pressured turkey is ready. And uh, I've had a lot of, I've just had a lot of success with that. You know, a bird that's just screaming, hitting every call, and I do something to screw it up, and next morning he's just as hot. But on those days, like we just said, that where they seems like they're gobbling everywhere, I rarely have a, a follow-up day that's like that. Yeah. Don't know why. I, you know, I don't know what that is, but it just seems like that's been my observation for a long time. Yeah, that's interesting. So tell me a little bit, and, and you know, I guess I'm asking you to give away a little bit of your trade secrets, but I don't want you to, to feel like you're, you know, if there's, if there's something you don't want to give away, you don't have to. But, you know, the little bit that I have followed turkey calling competitions in my adult years and I, I probably shouldn't say it that way because I didn't 
you know, I guess technically I was an adult in college, even though I sure didn't act like it. <laughs> <laughs> and and attended a few turkey calling competitions during that time. But, you know, I've, I've been exposed to it much more over the last, I don't know, seven or eight years and going to Nashville. But what, you know, I, I watched this year's competition because I wasn't able to, to be in, in the ballroom for it live and in person. So I watched it on YouTube and, you know, the, the callers who were in, who were competing with you or against you in the finals, they're all just phenomenal turkey callers. But there, to me, in watching this year's competition, there was a big difference between the top two or three callers and the other competitors. And it was really in the presentation more so than in the calling. What do right. you do to kind of prepare yourself as far as the presentation goes? Because to me, and I'm no judge by any means, but that's, I look back at some of your, uh, and and think back to some of the other competitions where I've seen you compete. That to me is really what makes you head and shoulders above a lot of the other competitive callers is the presentation part of it. So how do you prepare for that? So going into it, I practice like I always did. I work on every single call. I don't do any scenario that I'm doing like that until about two weeks prior to the contest. Mm-hmm. And when I got to that two week point, when I got to the two week point, I quit practicing the way that I did. I pulled the scenarios up, saved a picture of them in my phone. And every night, my wife would go in the bedroom, get ready to go to bed. She can sleep through it. I would do each scenario two times. I would record it and time it. That's a big thing is you've got yes. to be able to You have three minutes. So in three minutes, you have to be able to, to tell a story basically. So and it has to flow. It has to, everything has to work. So everything I do when I'm calling, when I'm practicing, I record every single day, every single time that I record, I'm comparing it to something that I've heard a turkey do. I, and I have recordings. I'm like, okay, this is this, this. So a perfect example of that, I'm going to go off track just a little bit. When I was in Nashville. I asked a guy that I, I trust his ear. I said, I want you to listen to this call that road. He's like, it's good. I don't know how to explain it. He's like, but it's got a, it's got a haze to it. And I said, hold on. And I pulled up this, it was a thing that Denny Galvis had done for me. And there were several hens in it. And I played it. And he's like, right, he's like, right there it is. Okay. He's like, I've never picked up on that. Everything that I do is compared to what a turkey does and never, ever compared. I don't listen to, I don't care who wins. I don't care if I go this year and Jesse or Dave or Hunter Wallace wins. I'm not going to listen to them because if I'm listening to them, if I'm chasing those guys, the best I can ever be is almost as good as they are. Mm-hmm. And I, so I've always compared going clear back to a contest. And I, I think it was 2000 in Erie, Pennsylvania. Danny Galvis was sitting there watching and I won. And he come up to me. He's like, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't be listening to other callers. And I took that advice and ran with it. I've never listened to other callers. But fast forward to this year at Grand Nationals, it's go time. All the callers are back there. We're at the, we're getting ready to go on the stage for the finals. It's our biggest event. And I watched the guys. Most of those guys that were that ended up being in the top five behind me, they were not prepared. They had not practiced their scenarios. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm sitting back and I'm like, I'm kind of blown away. I'm like, you spent a lot of money to get here. It, it's expensive to go. 
we, you know, you spent a lot of money to get here, time off work, all this stuff. And you guys are not prepared for this. That was, you know, that's, I am a competitive person when it comes to that. I don't care about second or third place. Nobody's going to remember who was second or third place. Yeah. That's just mm. how I've always looked at it. And, uh, you know, if you don't win, it's great because you get some money back, but that's, that's not what I go for. And if I don't think I can win, I'm not going to go anymore. Yeah. It's just preparation. And, you know, and it, when you start talking about guys like, like Jesse or Dave Owens or, uh, JR or Josh Grossenbach or any of them guys, I mean, they're, they're putting more time in it than a lot of the other guys are, you know, yeah. Josh, for instance, is sitting at a call press building 150,000 calls a year. And Billy Argus was the same way when he was competing. I mean, he's, uh, that's all he does now is hunt and build mouth call, you know, so he's sitting there building calls and running calls all day. So it makes mm. a difference. Yeah. But for yeah. me, part of that too, you ask, you know, what's the difference in presentation? It is, for me, it is confidence. You know, I've been fortunate to win enough that both the last two that I've won, more so last year than this year, I had, there were mistakes that I can point out to you that not one person, not one judge picked up. And my, like, I felt, a, I felt Reed's foot back and stick, and stick. But I'm confident enough in what I know the call will do I just backed off and finished up what I was doing and switched to a different call. Moved on to another thing that I had planned. I mean, I think it was three years, the year uh, 2020 when I won. I went back to a gobbler yelp and had to call completely dry. And if you go back and listen, there was two gobbler yelps. That was not intentional. That call quit. There was nothing to come out of it when I went to do another one. It just, luckily, it didn't do anything, but it, it just hung. It made two hard, good sound gobbler yelps, and the call hung dry. And that was a uh, Galvis call, which is there's no cuts in it. And when they do that, they won't make a noise. Huh. You know, so I've just learned, and it's, it has to do with I have confidence that other people don't at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, you know most guys would have panicked, and it throws them off at that point. And I just roll with what I got. Yeah. I mean, has anyone else ever won eight? No. Yeah. No. Uh, Who has the most behind you then? Walter Parrott has five Grand Nationals, and in the Worlds, Ben Rogers Lee has five. Nice. Pretty impressive. Pretty decent names to be associated with. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> never got to, I never got to meet Ben, but I, I actually got to hunt with Walter, and uh, that was a pretty cool experience. So that's been a long time ago. But I bet that yeah. was a bad day for turkey gobblers. <laughs> yeah, the crazy thing is, is he had been here with some friends of mine, for about a week and they just picked a bad time and they were was nothing that anybody was doing they just were having a hard time finding the bird that would do anything mm. and he called and said do you see you have anything else i said i'll see if i can roost one tonight and i found a bird that night we went in there the next morning barely got set up and two gobblers walked right in the gun range without ever nobody ever made a call until <laughs> the kid that he was filming he said, "You, you know, can you kill him?" He said, "Yeah." And Walter yelped twice, and they killed the turkey. And that was it was the craziest thing. It was I had never been on the property before. I, I struck him from the road the night before. It was just one of them, you know, the kind of hunts you hope for. But yeah, it was pretty. Okay. Got the the Grand National Champions there to call and never had to yell. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. Nobody had to call to kill that turkey. Oh man, <laughs> Andy, you need to before we get way too far in here you got to do rapid fire q a with matt well i figured we got rolling with him i figured i'd just save it for the end yeah we'd wrap up that way i mean you got a competitor so we we need to 
you know, finish out the show and let him stomp on the, yeah. the winner or the well, current we'll, leader, I should say. We'll finish with that then. But yeah. I was going to ask how for you, Matt, how important, because I hear this from people on both sides of the coin, as far as turkey hunting goes and getting the gobbler, how important is calling? I'm not going to go as far as what Ray I always said and say calling is everything. There's a difference in calling and killing. But so for me, I hunt a lot of states, not like a Dave Owens, but, you know, I hunted, like last year, I hunted nine states. Most of these places, a lot of these places I've never stepped foot in. The importance of calling is everything. And I'm, I'm trying to locate a turkey in a place that I've never been. And there are things over, I don't even know how many years of doing this, but there are things over all these years that I've turkey hunted that I have learned will make a turkey gobble. There are certain tones that will make turkeys gobble in every part of the country. And that, and and a lot of that is realism, but there's a, you know, there's a thump in the middle of a yelp and then cutting, cutting when it's done right. I hear trumpets, I hear, you know, I hear it, but when you know how to cut to a turkey, is he going to gobble a lot of times? Maybe not, but he's going to hit it. And without, without calling, I would not be nearly as successful as I am. Calling and killing are two different things. I, I mean, I went to for the last week this year, and we probably crawled. We crawled on way more than we than we called, but we killed a bunch of turkeys in a week's time and had a good time. And it just depends on the timing. But a lot of those birds, we would not we would not have known they were there without calling and having a call that just that made that bird give us his location. Yeah, you know the old saying, "Oh, calling's only ten percent of the hunt." That depends on what kind of hunter you are. If you are a guy that goes in and sets up on a known strut zone or a food plot or in a blind with a bunch of decoys and just going to sit there and read a book or look on your phone, calling is not very important. If you are patient enough to sit there all day, every day, and there's turkeys in the area, eventually you're going to kill one. And that's not my style. I'm not looking to kill a turkey every few days. I'm looking to kill two or three a day, you know, if we can do that. Yeah. So call important to me. I, I definitely noticed in my own turkey hunting journey there was a year when I spent a lot of time practicing my calling and I am no Matt Van Sice. I understand that, but I got my realism and cadence and everything much better than it was. And I started striking more and, and finding more turkeys, which led to killing more turkeys. Right. So I think calling is more important than people think. Cause I've, I've noticed a lot of times late you know the past couple of years where i've been able to hit a call and get a turkey to gobble that i don't think my former self could have right now <laughs> i'm going to say something that will definitely strike a nerve in a few people that will listen to this but the only people that say that calling is not important are those who are not good callers <laughs> and those who do not know how to call to a turkey so, like i said when going back to when i started hunting it was it was such a huge part. It was so much bigger a part of turkey hunting than it is today. That knowing how to use it, I'm not going to promise a guy that being a better caller that he's going to kill more turkeys. You still have to know what to do once that bird gobbles. Once that bird tells you where he's at, yeah. But I'm going to find turkeys than the average guy does, and that's a big yeah. part of it. Well, that's that's key. Huge. That that is so key and. I'm going to tell you that my opinion of how important calling is has changed rather dramatically over the past four to five years. 
And I think a lot of it has to do with, and, you know, you, you mentioned that you don't buy a whole lot into pressure. I know that Ray I doesn't buy into pressure at all, but I'm going to tell you that for an average to below average turkey hunter or turkey caller, not turkey hunter, but turkey caller, it's harder today to get a turkey to gobble than it was five, 10, 20 years ago, just a shot gobble of, hey, you know, I'm over here, you get one gobble, and at least you know, hey, that bird's over in this food plot, let's go over here and, and kill him, or that bird's over in this cow pasture, let's get around here, you know, we can get eyes on him and get around to kill him that way. And, you know, a lot of people don't have to don't have to call a bird in from that point, just like you said. And they can be flat out stone cold killers yep. and limit out on turkeys if you can get him to gobble one time, just like you said. But I over the past several years, I have changed my tune about how important calling is because of that thing. And Cameron mentioned it and you are going to agree 100%. If you can strike birds, you can get a bird to tell you where he is, you are nine-tenths ahead of the turkey hunter who can't do that in, yeah, maybe in you killing that bird. Maybe you don't kill him today, but he just told you that, yes, he just confirmed that, you know, yes, there's a turkey here, and I am yep. going to check him every day for the next 30 days or whatever I have, and one of those days, he is going to be ready. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's unless somebody gets in there and kills him. That's, but yeah, I'm not with it that, you know, in over the years, especially traveling, you know, when I set my, my hunts up, I, I don't have, you know, like the hunt this year, my wife decided she was kind of last minute that she wanted to go. So we took four days and it was Memorial Day weekend. So we, you know, we took the whole week to go up there and, it, that's different, but most of my hunts are a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or a Saturday, Sunday. You know, I drove, I, you know, go and all these states that I go to. I mean, I'm in there for two days, and I got to have every advantage I can. So, if a bird gobbles, or if I see one in the field, if I can get eyes on them, that's a whole different story then. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's you know, if you play in hide and seek with somebody and they yell out their location it makes it a lot easier (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's pretty huge that's why i would say fall gobbler hunting is significantly more difficult almost because of that sole fact that they're not they will gobble some but they're not nearly as apt to gobble in the fall as they are spring those jerkers are hard to find if they're not shouting out where they are for you yep yep and you know going back up many many years i did quite a bit of fall hunting without dogs, you know, and that was the trick there. The secret was finding them. And if you got a break on them, it wasn't always a good enough break to get them to do anything. But now I've got a buddy that's got a dog and I've hunted with him for since 2004, I believe. So that makes things more fun. The dog does the running and I don't have to go chasing down through the wood, screaming and hollering and falling over sticks and <laughs> looking like an idiot. But, but even at that, you know, you, a lot of times, by the time you can get set up, those hens and jakes are already calling. And you break a gobbler flock up, and his rule of thumb is we're going to set at least four hours. Hmm. And a lot of times, it's a couple hours before you hear that first gobbler start calling. They just, they're just they not in as big a hurry to get back together as those young birds are. So it's a different story altogether in the fall. But Yeah. 
I've, yeah, I've heard that numerous times from people, from fall hunters. So, yeah, and in good, experienced turkey hunter fashion, they talk me out of going in the fall by saying, you know, we may bust that gobbler flock up and, you know, at 9 a.m. and sit there until 4 p.m. And you better not move. I'm like, yep, I'm out. <laughs> you know, but there's some incredible encounters. And in if you can get a, especially into a big mixed flock where that has gobblers and hens and jakes, you, you get a lot more out of them. You get a lot more response. And man, you hear some crazy stuff. You know, gobbler yelps is a big thing that's, it was around when I started calling and they got out of it. For one, because judges really don't know what to do with it because not that, not many people have really heard it. You know, everybody thinks that it's drawn out and it's slower. Well, it's really not any slower. The difference is you've got an eight-pound hen yelping and you've got a 20-pound gobbler making that same noise. Well, everything about it is just more enhanced. You know, there's, mm-hmm. it's got a beautifully tone. I mean, he's got a longer neck. He's got a bigger set of lungs. Everything is bigger. Everything is more obnoxious. It's louder. But when you hear it in the woods, my gosh, it's, it is so unmistakable when you hear one that does what we consider a gobbler yelp. You know, there's the most of them do it. Every once in a while, big old gobbler will come in yelping like a pretty old hen. So you never know what you're going to get. It's been pretty cool over the years, some of the stuff we've experienced. Yeah, that that's pretty neat. I know you, you're, uh, I guess, friends with or your acquaintances with Denny Galvis still, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not uh, not like we're best not like we're best friends that talk every day. I have a I, I have a huge amount of respect for Denny and have always looked up to him. And we, you know, we probably on my end we don't talk more than we than we should. I just you know I go to work and then I come home and build calls. And truthfully, I <laughs> I avoid things like this because by the time I get to the evening, I just I I really don't want to talk. I don't want to. I want to spend time with my wife and my dogs and maybe mess with a turkey call and go to bed. You know, I'm getting old enough now that I just don't do a lot of this kind of stuff. I enjoy it when I start, you know, once I get started. But um, Yeah. 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 I, you get to an age yeah. where you're like, oh, I can sleep another 15 minutes. Yeah, I'd rather do that than, you know, yeah. Danny Galvis is, it's hard to even put into words. You know, his passion for the wild turkey and their vocabulary goes so far beyond anything that I've had. And I, I say that, and I, there's probably not many people ever that have put the amount of time and the amount of thought into turkey calling and sounding like a turkey that I have. But Denny, is he he's one of those guys that I can send something to, and I think it's amazing, and he'll be like, yeah, but you know, the, uh, turkeys do this or this or this. And I'm like, I, I don't understand what he's talking about. And just a, something that came up last spring, and I listen, I'm like, I'm doing exactly what he's telling me. And it took about a month. I'm listening one day, and I, I was like, oh, I'm not doing what he I, – I hear exactly. Like, I, it took me that long to figure out, and I went immediately. I knew what it was I needed to do. I went and made a sound file and sent it to him. He's like, right back at me. He's like, that's what I was talking about. Now you're on track. And <laughs> he's picking at it every day. He's in the woods every day, literally, unless it's raining or too hot that he can't get to turkeys doing anything. He is in the woods with a video camera every day trying to capture things and has no desire to kill a turkey and probably wishes that nobody would ever kill another one. That's just, wow. He loves them that much. So I wish a- nobody would kill another one. <laughs> Except me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is not, I enjoy that part of it and I, you know, I'm, 
I cannot see myself ever getting tired of that, but you know, different strokes for different folks, but Danny's a different level altogether than anybody else that's ever done this. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I would assume as far as an ear for Turkey sounds, that guy probably has heard more wild Turkey sounds like consistently than anyone. I don't think there's anybody even remotely close. You know, I, yeah. I, for my own use, I have a pretty extensive library of wild turkey sounds and yelping and everything and almost almost all of it came from him yeah he sends me every time he sends me something i save it um yeah. so you know it's just and i I've, i haven't even scratched the surface i mean just he has thousands and thousands of hours of of recordings of videos of, of the real thing doing it. i mean he goes in the woods in the morning at four o'clock in the morning looking for turkeys in the roost and sets up underneath him and listens to them wake up yeah pretty cool Pretty yep. cool. Are there any calls that you use on the stage? Granted, I guess you're kind of told what sounds to make that you hardly ever pull out in the woods. Uh, not really. You know, like as far as specific calls, I don't, I don't key key a lot in the spring. I have, and I've had it work, but I don't use it a lot in the spring. You know, I, we don't break, I don't break things down in the, in the woods as far as excited yelps or assembly yelps. I do, I let that turkey, that situation, tell me exactly what I want. I give him what he wants and nothing more. I, I hunt, you know, I hunt with a lot of guys, and a lot of guys will just call and call and call and call. And I'm just, I'm thinking, if he did gobble, how do you know that he gobbled? <laughs> I keep everything short and sweet. I, you know, if if he's cutting me off two notes in, there's no need for me to give him ten. So, I, it's all based on what he's telling me he wants to hear. Some days he wants to hear everything i got and some days he only wants to hear specific things so i'm just you know i'm particular about that kind of things when i hunt and i will tell you it's very few guys that i hunt with will offer to call and i i don't really care for that because i i've seen where i can give them the best thing i got and they won't do a thing and a guy that i'm hunting with might be the most horrible sound thing i've ever heard and they will just tear it up that day so i yeah. always encourage guys you know if the birds aren't gobbling to me or if we're working one and he shuts up, like, hey, you got a call? Uh, I, yeah, I don't want to call with you. I'm like, look, I don't <laughs> care what you sound like. He likes what you sound like. <laughs> yes, and he is the judge that matters. He is the judge that matters on that day. That's right. Yeah. I got to tell you, if I hunted with you, Matt, and you called a turkey and he didn't do anything, and then I hit it and he came in, I'd walk around with my chest puffed up all day. <laughs> I'd be all right with that, as long as that turkey died. Yeah, that's right. We'd both be happy. But. Yep. Yeah, I can just see Cameron right now instructing you on what you're doing wrong at the next, the next stop <laughs> in the woods. Yeah. Yeah, you just didn't have you the know, right cadence, Matt. You know, it's just yeah. <laughs> with, with, you know, with all this stuff, the, the competition is where I made my name. You know, that's the reason I was able to start selling calls the way that I did. But there's no way that you would ever get me to go even to grand nationals. If I could be somewhere Turkey hunting that day, Yeah, that is, that is what it's always been about is the love for Turkey hunting. And, you know, the calling contest has been great, but man, what I, what I have, what it has done for me, you know, and now it's a little easier because of social media, but man, I got, I can pick up a phone or go on Facebook. I can go hunting pretty much anywhere I want to go. And I'm not afraid to say that, I get to hunt some pretty primo spots because of my accomplishments. I mean, I, I got to go to 
with the guy. He saved the place, wouldn't let anybody hunt, didn't hunt. We went in there, and it was just, it was crazy. I mean, I used to hunt with Mitch Parker. He didn't save any places for me. Mitch was a killer, but we had good places to hunt. And not everybody gets that opportunity. You know, most big difference, north and south. You you come here to north, to nor, you know, northeast to turkey hunt with me. I don't care if you, I'll take you to my best spot. I don't care if you kill every turkey I have. Don't matter. As long as I get to be there. When I hunted in the south, it was a big deal if somebody let me kill one of their turkeys. And they, they let me know that it was a big deal that I killed one of their turkeys. I mean, they, oh, yeah. they wanted turkeys. So, and they always did. I, you know, the hospitality was great. I got to hunt great places. But it was, they looked at it different. Like, they don't share that part of it as easily. And for one, if you've hunted up here, access, no comparison. You know, there's no comparison in the access. We have we have so much public land, and you know, I know a lot of people in this area. I have I get permission. I ask every landowner that I come across in the spring if it's not posted. I can't tell them I was told no. They they don't care if I turkey hunt. For one thing, I don't do is I don't mess with their deer hunt. I have places that I that I can deer hunt. I don't mess with deer hunting because people were funny about that. But most people up here don't really care about a turkey, so. Big difference there, north and south. Big, big, big difference. difference. I yep. Yeah. No yeah. I, I don't know that I used to, the last permission I had to hunt somewhere that we didn't own or lease in this state was when I was in, I'd say it was probably 14 years ago now. And I've asked a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I understand completely. Yeah. It just doesn't <laughs> happen anymore. <laughs> No, I hunt Virginia every year with a real good friend, and it's the hunt clubs, and you know it's it's nothing like here. It's got great places to turkey hunt, and kills a bunch of them, but it's just uh, it's not like it is up in this part of the world. Yeah. Well, Matt, we are bumping up against 9 p.m. Eastern time, and I do want to be respectful of your time, and you know I I think Cameron and I could sit here and talk turkey with you all night, and you probably would oblige, but I know you do have other things that you need to do and want to do but one i have have finally we've gotten to the part of the show where i want to ask you to do the rapid fire q a and so i want to ask you to do that and then when we finish this i want to give you the opportunity to tell the listeners how they can buy some of your calls that you make okay so the first off is the rapid fire Q and A, okay, and it is a lot what it sounds like. So I have a list of thirty questions, and they're not like what is a caruncle or caruncle or whatever you call those things. It, you know, no biology stuff. It's all really just your personal preferences gotcha. about turkeys and turkey hunting, and yep. we'll run through those as quickly as we can. The slowest part of this is going to be me reading the question because I'm from Alabama. And what we're going to do is see if you can beat the fastest time that we have to answer these 30 questions. And that time, the record is held by Michael T. Simpson, and it's two minutes and 13.96 seconds. Okay. So just to give you an idea, that's flying the next fastest score or fastest time was mark prudum at 217 okay so oh and by the way mark just totally destroyed the next fastest time by nine seconds 
So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, this is getting to be one of the four minute mile things. Nobody could break 230 and then all of a sudden everybody's breaking 230 with it. So, all right, I'm going to get the, the timer set up here. I will start the stopwatch on the very first question and we'll run through these just as quickly as we can. And you tell me when you're ready. I'm good. Wild turkey grilled, baked or fried? Fried. Wild turkey on the rocks, neat with cola or with water? None. Number of grand slams? One. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? Yes. You ever killed a jake? Yes. Ten minutes successful hunt on a two-year-old or a four-hour long hunt with a clean miss on a four-year-old? Two-year-old. Favorite camo pattern? Mossia, bottom land. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? Dinner. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? Less. State you killed your first turkey in? Pennsylvania. State you killed your last turkey in? Maine. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Run and gun. Rios or Osceolas? Rios. Rios or Easterns? Eastern. Easterns or Merriams? Easterns. Field turkeys or woods turkeys? Both. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight or beads? Holographic sight. Rubber boots, leather boots or snake boots? Rubber boots. Favorite place you've ever hunted? Pennsylvania. Most turkeys you've ever killed in a season? 17. Least number of turkeys you've ever killed in a season? One. Out of all the states you've hunted, which state has the most uncooperative turkeys? Alabama. If you knew how to imitate only one turkey sound to call turkeys, what would it be? Yelp. On a scale of one to ten, how good of a turkey caller do you think you are? Nine. Favorite turkey hunting book? Don't have one. Who taught you how to turkey hunt? Myself. Think of the toughest turkey you ever hunted. Did you ever kill him? Yes. Do you prefer long, sharp spurs or long, thick beards? Long, sharp spurs. Biggest mistake new turkey hunters make? Giving up. How long does turkey season last in heaven, and what is the bag limit? Every day. <laughs> Unlimited. All right. Very, very solid performance at 2 minutes and 19.74 seconds. Nice. Where does that rank? That is... Oh, Mark beat you by two seconds. That puts you at number three. So I know a competitor like Matt Van Sice is not going to be happy with that. And that's a good thing for me and you, Cameron, because that means we can get him back on the show. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. That, That was pretty solid. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, Matt, before we talk about your calls, I noticed that... The first year I saw you compete compared to the last year I've seen you compete, you've gotten yourself in really good shape. Better shape. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, much better shape. So I have struggled with weight my entire life, and I'm not lazy by no means. And to be honest, at, I was, well, the day that I started on this program that I used, I was 296 pounds, but I've been over 300, you know, for not being a, a real big guy. Uh, that's a lot of weight. Um, that's a lot of weight for anybody, but especially f- for me, very few, I say very few were able to keep up with me at 300 pounds. So I just, I got to a point where I just didn't feel good. I uh, saw some pictures and videos of myself in Nashville and I was embarrassed. You know, that was as heavy as I had ever been. So I just, you know, I knew it was time that I needed to do something and, um, you know, between my wife and I, we lost 120 pounds, and both feel great. So, wow, uh, makes a difference in turkey season. I know that. 
That's what I was going to ask. How how much better was this past turkey season without that? Oh, it was amazing. You know, and That's awesome. For me, it's I just I like to eat. That's the biggest thing. And then don't know when to say enough's enough. You eat your stuff you can't move. And, you know, I got I have friends that eat. I got a real close friend I talk to every day, and he eats like he started eating early because of some uh, acid reflux issues. But he eats once a day. Like, I can't operate that way. No. Yeah. It doesn't work for me. So, you know, I learned a lot about nutrition doing it and you know, I eat more often than I used to, but much smaller portions and things that are a lot healthier for me. So but you know, I'm I'm not i I'm not skinny, I'm still even at my lightest, you know, I'm still overweight, but feel a whole lot better than I did for a lot of years. So yeah. well, I just wanted to say congrats on that because that's huge. Yeah. I, I knew it would probably make that walking during turkey season a little easier because i mean it's a noticeable difference from the first time i saw you to the last in person at the in nashville so good job on whatever you're doing thank you yep congrats on that because that is hard work the lifestyle change is a big deal it is yeah so tell us tell us a little bit about your call company and you know kind of what different types of callers you specialize in and and produce and how someone listening to the show can purchase one of the calls that i know is going to make them sound just like matt van size in the woods so you know going back year you know i started building turkey calls in 1995 so i built calls for a company called killer calls and then i built mouth calls for woodhaven and mad calls and then some things happened with mad just people left and I didn't want to be part of that anymore. And I got to a point where I didn't want to, there was a couple of reasons, but I didn't really want to promote another call company. I wanted, if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it for myself. But a lot of it was that being as picky as I am, I was not able to get consistently what I was looking for. So, you know, it started with me with obviously with mouth calls, but then I started building strikers and I built a box call because I wanted to try it. I built that box call and I made a sound file and it was pretty crazy how, I mean, within a matter of a couple of days, I had a list that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to catch up on. I had only built one box call. Wow. <laughs> so one of the things I've struggled with, I can build a turkey call and make it sound like a turkey. I can make it pretty. As far as being artistic, as, you know, drawing a feather on it or burning a feather on it, there's probably four-year-olds that are better at that stuff than I am. I, that's just not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing I struggled with working with Woodhaven with Mad Calls. Well, Woodhaven never really was an option, but with Mad, and I cannot, I have a heck of a time with names. So we, we, my wife and I thought of all different kinds of things, and the obvious, the best name I could think of was already used. When I was with Mad, they had the Precise series. Pre, you know, they used my last name and Precise. I'm like, well, that would be perfect. Can't use it because they have. It. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was on the. I was on the radio one day and this song come on and it was talking about high class. I'm like, that's what I want to build. I don't want to build a a gimmick. You know, I don't want to build, I don't want to have a call company that I have to build something new every year to get people to buy it because I'm producing stuff that is subpar quality. So that's where the name came from. And, you know, they've, they've changed. They've gotten a lot better over the years. My woodworking ability has gotten better and, you know, my attention to detail has changed, but we don't have, at this point, we don't have a website. Most of the sales are done through Facebook, not all, almost all, word of mouth. I mean, I can, you know, my phone number, it's 
no secret. I'd tell them the phone number and anybody that wants it. Anybody wants to get a hold of me, my number is 814-715-5044. You can text or call that and we can get you set up that way. But we build box calls, three different styles of box calls at this point. You know, it's my signature, you know, that everybody knows is a handled box. Um, and it's mine just have a different sound. And then there's a, you know, I build a long box and I build a, a it's easiest for me to tell people it's a cost style box. Mine are not checkered like Neil costs. It's dimension wise. It's very similar to those. And that's why I call it that. But I build a lot less of those than I do the handled boxes, you know, and then offer pot calls, different, different wood variations, different surfaces, but it's all based around what I was looking for. And it all goes back to what I have been successful striking turkeys with consistently over the years, you know, and as far as the, the comments you made that anybody can sound like me, they can. It's as easy as, 20 years of practice in a couple hours a day and you'll have it. Uh, that's all you got to uh, do. Yeah. That's it. I mean, if you're willing to put the time into it, it's that easy. But with a box call, you'd be surprised how fast I can make somebody a better caller with a box call. You know, with a pot call, that's a little tougher. But with a box call, you can get pretty, you can be proficient with a box call pretty quickly. So, yeah. And it's, it's best if you can find somebody that's, you know, if you're by, if you're helping somebody that's never run one, they don't have any bad habits yet. So yeah. Yeah. yeah just it's high class calls. Um, you know, we, when we first did it, we, you know, they said, make sure you incorporate your name so people know what they're looking for. So on Facebook, it's high class calls by Matt Van Sice. That's who, that's what I do most of my call sales through. It's just me and my wife. She helps me with the packaging and, you know, she even helps me stretch some of the mouth calls. And I put the cuts in them because I just, I can't keep up. Every box call is built start to finish by me. I don't have anybody shape my lid stock. I don't do, I do everything myself. It comes in here in a, in a board or a turning square and I turn it into a turkey call from that point, you know, so, so, you know, somewhat limited. I'm pretty close to tapped out as far as doing all I can do at this point. What I, I would love to see it grow bigger and it's the opportunities there. It's just a matter of me taking that step. So, but right now it's all, it's custom and I do a few stores, but it's, you know, it's still custom orders. It's plain white packaging, nothing fancy. The fancy is what you get when, when you open the box. Yeah. Um, I'd rather have that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Do you have a waiting list for your box calls or pot and peg calls? Time of year. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm pretty, uh, there, there are guys that build turkey calls that only want to build, they, they want to build a call list, a waiting list that's five years long and they only want to build 10 calls a year. I want right. to sell a turkey. I want to build a turkey call for every turkey hunter in the United States. I want everybody to have that, that same opportunity that I, you know, that I have. So my, I, I work hard when that time of year comes around. I spend a lot of time alone in my shop and a lot of late nights and early mornings before I go to work, but Usually my waiting list is not very long. I keep ahead of it. So Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And I, I yeah. think you left one I'm exaggerating when I say this minor thing out about sounding just like Matt Van Seich running one of Matt's calls. And that is not only the twenty years of practice doing a couple hours a day every day, but having an ear for sound. And There's no replacement for that. Yeah. You know, there, there are a few people over the years that I've worked with that truly understand what I hear. I hear it different. You know, there's, I've often said, why couldn't I have, <laughs> why couldn't I have been given this year for, or given this talent for 
you know, playing a guitar or singing or something that would make me a whole lot more money, but I yeah. wasn't. So, you know, the one thing she'll probably never listen to this, but the one person that doesn't get credit, uh, my wife, the amount of work, the amount of BS that she puts up with on this, it is very few people really understand my obsession with this. I mean, it's when that time of year rolls around, I might come home from work and I'm, if I'm not in the shop, I'm messing with calls and I rarely walk by one that I don't pick it up and make a noise on it. And I might be up to 11 or 12 o'clock at night getting ready to go to grand nationals. And she sits there and puts up with it. And most of the time she probably doesn't hear it, but I can promise you that after a while, prior to going to grand nationals, she doesn't like me very much, but she tolerates me. (laughs) (laughs) Give credit where credit's due. Very few people understand what what somebody goes through that, you know, I, and I would imagine it's like that with anything competitive, anything that you do competitive, if you want to be at the highest level, it, it goes beyond hard work and gets into obsession. Yes, yes, totally agree. And yes, you've got a great woman there. I know mine would, I don't know, she maybe a, a two days in, she would slit my throat in the middle of the night. And I don't believe that there's a judge around that would convict her. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I've I've lived it. So, man, Matt, I've enjoyed this. It's been a lot of fun. We've we've taken up a good bit of your time, but it's been really a a good time for me. And I know the listeners are going to love this interview as well. So thank you very much. And of course, if you're going to compete in Nashville, in February, best of luck to you. You don't need much luck, but you oh, know, we always need yeah, we'll always take whatever luck we can get and, and prayers and all that other good stuff too. So, you know, appreciate you very much and, you know, keep, keep getting better because I enjoy watching you. Yeah, and that's always to you. Cool. Thank yeah. you guys for having me on. That's Absolutely, that's Matt. Thank you. Uh, I really did enjoy it. And best of luck to you this spring. You too. All right. Have a great night. You too. Thanks again, guys. Thank you, buddy. Goodbye. Man, that's a that's a great show right there. Is that the first time we've had him on for an interview? It is. Yeah. Uh, I've interviewed him several times after winning the, the championship, you know, winning the calling contest. But first time he's been on for an interview. And there are those of us who are eat up with turkeys. And then there are those of us who are just consumed absolutely 100% consumed with it. And it makes me feel like I am lacking in the world of wild turkey that I need to involve myself in it a little bit more. But I know if my wife heard me say that, she would say, you are an idiot. There's no (laughs) way you could be more involved with wild turkeys than you are. But Well, heck, you just wait till we launch the Denny Galvis interview we just did last week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I could let her listen to that one and she would say, you know what? You're right. Yeah. You could give a little bit more time and effort and energy to wild turkeys. Yeah. It makes us look like look like we barely even do anything. So <laughs> Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, that's gonna be a great one coming up too. We've got some great shows for y'all coming this spring. Denny Galvis is gonna be an insane show. We inter- we did him last week. We've got Kenny Mount coming back in a few weeks. We've got Chad Clay come. I mean, you just we got great interviews coming at y'all for this spring turkey season. So we we made that a 
a goal in our off season. We wanted to make sure to provide great content during the high time of the year, during the spring, when people are traveling and listening and heading to the turkey woods and back home. We're going to produce it this year. Yes, it'll be good stuff. Yeah, so make sure you all check out the Patreon if you all want to hear the rest of Matt's Van Sice's stuff and hear him on the big stage up there in Nashville. So it's a good stuff. And then check out our store if you want to get some merch to support the, the podcast. I've, I've heard a lot of good things about the logo at the NWTF convention. People loved it. Lots of great feedback on the logo. And, hey, I want to say just two things. First of all, regarding the Shopify store for our merchandise, keep in mind that if you order multiple items, they are being shipped from different locations. Yes. So you may get a t-shirt in two days from the time you order it, a hoodie in four days from the time you order it, and those full strut boxer briefs may not come for 10 days. Yeah. So just kind of keep that in mind. If, you know, a couple of weeks goes by after you've ordered and you've not gotten what you ordered, but you've gotten notification that it's been shipped, Reach out to me, Andy at IamTurkeyHunting.com or Cameron, which is Cameron.Weddington at gmail.com and let us track down your order and figure out where it is. Because if you go to the website, if you go to the store to inquire where the order is, we had the situation come up not long ago where the store just didn't even they sent me an email to say, hey, what's going on with this order? And literally, literally two minutes later, refunded the order. And so I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> my emails don't come to my contact lenses. So <laughs> there's a real good chance I'm not getting an email and replying to it in two minutes time. So yeah. if you reply to me and Cameron or, or send us emails, let us check on the order for you because we're getting the tracking numbers for these orders and we can track down the order and tell you where it is and make sure that yes you are going to get the item that you ordered but you know just telling you have a have a little bit of patience and grace because some of these items are actually coming from china so it it may take those you know a week longer to get to you than the stuff coming to you from miami florida so yeah that's number one number two you can join patreon today and cancel it at the end of turkey season so you know of course we would love for you to stay on throughout the entire year but we know some of you guys are just you know your your turkey season listeners and then you move on and you start listening to i don't know what is it people do in the summer do they bass fish do they maybe it's surfing podcast in the summer and then deer hunting podcast in the fall you know back to turkeys late winter, early spring, you know, whatever it is you do. But if you don't want to miss out on the premium content, go ahead and join on Patreon and we'd love to have you and we appreciate you supporting the show. So with all that, that's a good favor of the week. Yes. I was going to ask if that's what you wanted it to be. So what do you think? You want to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up and head down to Tejas. Let's do it. I'll see you down there in a few hours. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, 
please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.